throughout the scriptures, God is showing to us and revealing to us who he is, what his character is, how he is set apart, how are we to know him truly. So in this lesson, we're going to be going very deep into understanding how one sets themselves apart as a sign between yourself and the one true God and how to actually love him with all your heart, mind and soul, being his number one commandment of his natural laws. So that's what I've called this episode, is loving God with all your heart, mind and soul, how to be set apart and choose life, truth and righteousness. So how does God show us who he is and how to build a personal relationship with him? He does this through his word, okay? He is not some mysterious puzzle that you need to figure out and jump through hoops and do all these crazy things that you can't attain. No, he's, he's provided us more than enough knowledge, but you just need to be willing to seek. So through his word, he is specific. What you'll find is that he's very specific. He's not vague. He is faithful. He always delivers on what he says. He doesn't change. Okay, he's not inconsistent. His word is the truth, the way, and a literal instruction for living. The word is a living text that is an instruction manual, if you will, an instruction guide for how to live in truth and righteousness and to set yourself apart as his people. Because you have free will and it's up to you to choose with your own free will whether you want to be with God or not. And as Jesus is the word manifest in the flesh, this is why he says in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now it's important that one doesn't assume having a relationship with God simply means whatever they want it to mean thus creating a version of who God is in their own minds. In other words, you're creating a literal idol, which is a transgression against God's second commandment. So you see the importance of this. You often hear people say vague statements such as, God is love, yet they fail to articulate what exactly does that mean. But you don't need to look far to find what it means because he lays it all out in his word, the Bible, the scriptures. Throughout all of them, all of the scriptures, we see countless examples of real life situations and how God responded and what his standards are so that we are without excuse of willful ignorance. It is different if you're genuinely ignorant and you don't know of him, you don't know of his word, no one has ever spoken it to you or you've just never heard. However, we live in a world today with globalism, with the internet, with all of the one world sort of situation we have going on. There are very few people in the world that are actually truly ignorant to the truth of God. They're willfully ignorant. They're willfully denying him. And that comes with consequences. So I also forewarn you before we go into this 
in detail and, and everything that you've ever heard me speak on within the Wisdom Within Scripture series is that once you know who God is and once you understand his commandments, his laws, his word, you have, it comes with a responsibility. You're no longer ignorant. You can no longer use that as an excuse before him when you stand before him in his throne on judgment day. So we're going to be delving into what a relationship with God actually looks like according to his word and what he has revealed to us throughout the scriptures on what loving him with all your heart, mind and soul actually means. It doesn't mean whatever you want it to mean. So with the specific or special revelation of the Bible and Jesus's walk on earth, why would we get our knowledge from those who teach cultural traditions of men? So traditions of people, traditions of what just people made up, they're not of God. And why would we then not seek the truth of God's word and his ways? Our Father in heaven has bestowed upon us his wisdom, more valuable, this wisdom is more valuable than gold and jewels and any amount of money for those who genuinely seek him. In my personal growth with God, I've seen many contradicting messages and some outright denials of the importance of God's word. Not only in the, quote, Old Testament, which I don't even like to call it that, but even with that which is clearly reinstated from the Old Testament in the, quote, New Testament. There are claims that Jesus abolished the law and none of the ways of the Lord matter anymore. This is only further confirmed to me the importance of reading and studying God's word for yourself, because when you know his word, you hear his voice, which, as he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's John 10 verse 27. So I understand what that means more in depth now. It's actually quite funny in the whole world of people sort of talking about freedom or awakening and so on and so forth, or woke, more like the woke crowd, that actually call anyone who is supposedly not awake, they call them a sheep. And it's totally misconstrued what that actually means from scriptures, because Jesus is always referred to as the good shepherd throughout scripture, which will make no sense to you if you don't read them yourself, which again, as I'm constantly reiterating, it's important that you also read the word yourself. And he is the good shepherd, which means when he says my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, he means that's God's people actually hearing the truth. When you deny the truth, you won't hear it. You're not his sheep. And he's using that metaphor so people can understand it in human speak. And again, interestingly enough, in sort of the evil satanic inversion, people say being a sheep, quote, in general, is you being asleep. And that being a goat is you being like some big shot. Whereas, again, within scripture, this is completely contradicting. So it always shows, once again, the satanic inversions that we witness throughout the world. I just thought that was an interesting uh, sort of side note in that you often called like a sleep sheep but that's not the purpose of the concept of sheep at all but of course anything that will deter anybody from reading scripture ever is is what they want to do so you know the satanist rulers of this world they actually aren't really that concerned that the bible is the most printed 
book in all of history ever because it just sits in a corner gathering dust for most people. People don't want to read. It used to be that they would withhold people from learning how to read, right? So the power was that way. Nowadays, nobody wants to read. So there's quite this bizarre uh, talk going around that, you know, the Bible itself is a tool for control for, for, the, for the evil ones. But it's not at all. It is not at all a tool for control. When you actually read what's in it, this is the thing. The, the, the perception has been given that you shouldn't read it because it's a tool for control. <laughs> Do you understand? But the tool for control is all of society. It's the whole system. It's what forces you, what you're going to do every day, like where you're going to work, how much money you're going to make, like the fact that you have to obey all of their man-made laws. And yet the very laws that you should be observant of, God's laws, which are written in this holy Bible, no, no, that you should steer away from because that's how they control you. Well, if that was the case, why would it be, again, available at the click of your fingers? Just logical consistency is, is necessary to understand that. And there is really a lot of just rabbit holes people go down which make people more confused than helpful so in this episode i'm going to cover ways in which a direct relationship with god can be developed why it's important to our heavenly father and how it is actually a way of life not a quote belief system not just a belief of what jesus did for you alone for what is it to truly believe what does that actually mean in saying i believe in jesus and what he did on the cross that's another massive thing uh, I've, I've noticed through my research and so on of what people actually believe he did and what that means for the way that they live. We will see that today as well because many seem to think belief is simply holding an idea in your mind is true. But that's not the reality, is it? Do beliefs not shape how we view the world and thus how we interact with it? Does belief not determine what character we build and what value, like what we value as principles? Does belief not encompass behaviour and decision-making? Yes. Yes, it does. So there is a lot to cover today, and even with as much depth as I'm going to go into, bear in mind I am still not able to cover absolutely everything about everything in one lesson. Precept builds upon precept, learning upon learning, growth upon growth. It appears the understanding of what Jesus actually did and how it applies to one's life is not actually that clear to all. When I realise this, in my prayers I ask God to teach me um, his wisdom, that I may discern good from evil and know the truth. I pray on this a lot. And he's been showing me, precept by precept, piece by piece, the answers throughout scripture when I say showing me answers, I mean throughout scripture. Um, you, your relationship with God is not an audible voice that you never, ever look into scripture. No, please, please be wary of people that say things like that. Or you going on a psychedelic experience or something like this. So he's been showing me the answers throughout scripture. And I've had revelation after revelation to which today we're covering one aspect of. So please, however, understand I claim not to have all the answers, nor to get everything right. We are to lean on God for truth and guidance in all that we do. What I am educating and sharing is simply how and what I have learned from studying the word of God myself, diligently and consistently, building my relationship with him and thus far 
up to now, up to this recording, what has been brought to light to me, which is so many things I've had to like ponder on all these things, gather all the thoughts together. And it's been hours and weeks at this point just for this one episode. So none of this is off the cuff. When I do something, I do it properly. My teachings are a result of much time and dedication. And as Paul says in Hebrews, it is good to communicate because with with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. For wisdom that's shared, that isn't shared, is of no use to anyone. What's the point? What's the point of keeping it all in your own head and never sharing it? That's always been on my mind. Every time, that's why it's a key thing. That's why teaching comes so naturally to me, because I'm like, once I connect dots and things, I have to share the important knowledge to people. If I just keep it in my own head, it is selfish and it is of no use. What's the point? And as I've said, and has been my way of thinking since I can remember, and also you need not agree with anything of what I'm conveying, by the way, and certainly don't just believe it. Truly, I urge you to read the Bible for yourself diligently. As it appears, some of you who have written to me got the message to do so, yay! (laughs) That uh, That was lovely to receive that from some of you. But you can listen and hopefully learn something from it. That's the point. In that it helps you get closer to God and not further away from him. In this totally inverted satanic world that is getting worse by the day. So forget not that context matters. And all scripture is linked to each other, literally like hyperlinked all over the place. They are completely different authors over completely different time frames and they literally reaffirm each other. That's why there's so many prophecies in the Bible, which are the only true prophecies are prophecies that actually come 100% true. And all of the ones that are in the Bible are so. That's why anyone that claims to be like a, a prophet today, again, be wary of them. And the number one way to test it, as is said in scripture, is is what they've said come 100% true? If yes, they're a real prophet. If not, they're not. There's no hit and miss, which you get a lot of in a lot of sort of this this whole witchcraft world and mediumship and uh, fortune telling and all the rest of it. They're kind of like hit and miss. Yes, because they're not using the power of God. They're using the perversion, the perverted version. It's counterfeit. You must understand this. It's counterfeit. You need to not be involved in those things. God knows when it's when it's real and he knows when you're using a counterfeit and the consequences will be the consequences when you do that. So all scripture is linked to each other. Thus it is to be interpreted in harmony with each other. Okay, this is such an important rule when studying for yourself is this rule. If you find a contradiction or something that doesn't make sense within the scriptures, You dig deeper comparing scripture with scripture. You don't fill in the gaps with assumptions and anecdotes for yourself. Like, oh, maybe it means this. Like you really compare scripture with scripture and then usually then you will find the correlation. So whenever I see something that appears contradictory, I pray on it and I continue studying. So I pray, I'm in conversation with God and then I continue studying his word because that's how he speaks to you. And sure enough, God reveals the wisdom and gives me understanding on it. And this, guys, is true spirituality. Only God will open your spiritual eyes when he sees fit. And to those who seek evil, he sends stronger delusion. He sends stronger delusion. So if you're seeking like a 
a hack or a cheat code again through all these witchcraft means he will seek you stronger de- he will send you sorry stronger delusion be wary of that this is why knowing the word truly like really knowing it like having verses in your head and not just depending on what you hear from people of supposed authority right such as religious leaders or even political leaders or even celebrities as so many people do If you depend on God himself, you will have the sword of the spirit at hand whenever confusion or doubt creeps in from the enemy. You see, no one ever skips the beginning of a book and just reads the last chapter. You start from the beginning to understand what's going on in the next chapter and so on and so on. The Bible is to be approached so as well. The Old Testament is literally 80% of the Bible. If one thinks they can completely disregard it, They have not a genuine desire to know God truly and our own history and purpose in life. You cannot understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. And as you will come to understand in this lesson, the New Testament did not abolish or change the God of the Old Testament quote, which I often hear being said as well. Oh, the God of the Old Testament doesn't exist anymore. Again, if you know God truly and his character, you will know he doesn't say things like forever and ever and perpetual covenant and covenant and the likes for, for it to be nullified later on. That would contradict his character. That would make him appear dishonest, which he is not. Neither can he be as a perfect and holy God. So as Jesus himself says in Luke 11, verse 23, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth, end quote. That's really clear language. Again, it's very strong language as well. Yet what does it mean to be with him? I liken this unto the most important life choice we have, which is the choice between good and evil. The choice between eternal life and blessing or eternal death and curse. Most are in what I call the sinkhole of indifference, as I have mentioned it many a time before, wherein Jesus is also a name for it. He calls it being lukewarm. Uh, Revelation chapter 3 verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. End quote. Now, how does one know what is offensive and acceptable to God? Because that's, again, a very clear statement. He's saying there, you're not making a choice. You're in that sinkhole of indifference. And he knows full well, as I've warned people for years, is that if you're in indifference, you will automatically gravitate and be taken over by evil. You won't automatically, you know, go towards the good because we are in a world that's run by evil. And evil is what what overpowers you and enforces things on you. The good doesn't do that. The good just teaches and guides and lets you make your own decisions. It's a big difference, you see, to how can you know, like what is offensive and what is acceptable to God? Well, that's what the scriptures are for. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, we have countless events and happenings which show us God's character, what he hates, what he loves, and so on. If this is not your basis for understanding what it means to live a godly life in his eyes, then what is? How would you know what is iniquity and what is honour? What is lawlessness and what is obedience? 
Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. End quote. Did you hear that? It says all scripture, not some of it, not just the end of it, not the middle of it, not most of it is irrelevant now. All scripture. It shows the perfection and infallibility of scripture. A literal living instruction guide, which is what Torah means. It means like instruction, direction, principles to follow, the law, or you could call it the way of life. Now, people who don't want to hear, they won't. Truth is not accepted automatically. I understand that. It needs to be understood. And that takes due diligence and sacrifice. In John 8, verses 31 to 32, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word... Then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, end quote. Okay, so he's saying if you continue in my word, so Jesus was teaching people to continue in his word, that which he was teaching. What was Jesus teaching? He was teaching being a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And the truth shall set you free. You, he's talking about the law of liberty, which is God's law, his Ten Commandments. Remember that we compare and verify scripture with scripture. So it's all harmonious. And that's what we're going to see again, verified here by James. James chapter one, verse 25. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed, end quote. In his deed. Okay, so we see action is clearly involved. It is about who are you being, not just a lip service in believing what is written or believing, again, the story you heard about what happened. Because believing shapes how we live when it's a true belief Everything stems from a thought first and a belief is just a thought you continue to think and it strengthens in your mind. So it becomes your values. It becomes a way in which you view the world. And in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, end quote. What is this conversion he's talking about? This conversion of the soul. It is a literal change of heart and mind towards God and freedom and liberty. Bear in mind, though, that not everyone hears his voice if they are committed to their slavery to evil. It's not a given. Not everybody hears the truth and then wants God and freedom. It might sound strange, but it's the truth. You can ask them directly. As Jesus in John chapter 8 verses 43 to 47 states, Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth, 
because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's words. You, therefore, hear them not, because you are not of God. End quote. Jesus here is clearly defining that line between who is with him and who is against him. Remember what we said earlier. So who chooses truth or who chooses lies? In other words, who chooses God and goodness or who chooses evil and death? So the importance of God's laws are not diminished. They're actually magnified by Jesus and by his apostles in later years. Again, the scriptures do not state that God's directives for his people are null and void. He doesn't, nowhere does it say that. But let's go into this deeper. What is the greatest commandment of them all? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. So let's read when this was introduced through the, through, through the scriptures back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 8. This was in 1400 BC. So bear in mind Israel when I'm reading to you and you hear the word Israel, it means God's people today. Okay, it doesn't mean you're, you're someone who lives in the city called Israel today. Israel means God's people today, anyone who chooses to love and serve him, not the physical city. Okay, that's who Israel is. So let's read Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to 8. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. End quote. This is such an important chapter. Well, I mean, all of scripture is important. It's so difficult to even dif differentiate important and, and less important. But this chapter specifically, Deuteronomy chapter 6, which I recommend you read fully, it is showing us the importance of teaching, being the example, generational reminders. You see, this is what tradition me was meant to be for. That's what tradition was supposed to be for. It's not inherently a bad thing. It's just become something else. It's become traditions of made up things that actually deter people away from God and towards evil. It was so that new generations understood the truth and how to live by God's laws. Because you know this for yourself. With every generation that is born and comes into the world, they are hyper dependent on adults, their parents and the like, to take care of them for a very long time and to teach them the ways of life. You're not born fully functioning. You, you, if you're left alone for even a minute as a baby, you're just done. Like we're super dependent in education from other people. And God knew this. And that's why he was ex explaining the importance of having the law 
in your house, in your mouths all the time? Are you speaking about it before you go to bed? Are you speaking about it when you wake up in the morning? Are you speaking about it when, when you're on the way, when you're out and about with your neighborhood and so on and so forth? And then very importantly, that it will be as a sign upon your hand and frontlets between your eyes. This is hand representing your deeds. Frontlets between the, your eyes represents your forehead, represents your thoughts specifically your neocortex, your frontal prelobes, which is where you have critical thinking, decision-making, morality, free will, and so on. So the new generation was to then understand the truth and how to live by God's laws. Else all is lost. All is lost. There's a direct correlation to everything I'm reading from you, by the way, from scripture. You won't even be able to tell whether it's a thousand years old, 2000 years old, or written yesterday, because that's how relevant scripture is. It's about all of humanity and the way that we in general live and the ultimate purpose and way of life and truths about life. That's why all of scripture is relevant today. It's not just some old irrelevant book that was meant for people that lived in caves, you know, whatever other story you're told through wonderful theories of evolution, which is a religious belief system and not the truth. And so... You know for yourself that with each generation, whatever the prior generation teaches them, that's what they're going to prioritize and live. So whatever generation you are, when you have your generation has children, you're going to teach them whatever the current principles and values are, not only of yourself as parents, but also of your entire neighborhood, your entire country and so on, or, or of the world. This is why culture is such a prevalent thing and it does actually shape the way people live. So if you're not sure and grounded in principles and values, yes, you will be scattered and taken by the winds of the culture of the world, which is not a good thing to be of the world, as God says over and over again. So that's how things get lost and how you get further and further away from the truth. I mean, I'm reading you this, this was, you know, in the year 1400, before Christ, so like almost 3,000 years ago, and yes, all of this has been lost, because who speaks of these things today? Who teaches this? We certainly don't hear this in schools. This is not taught, not at all. So we can see this today with the demoralization and literal destruction of modern day culture and practical celebration of all that is opposed to God. It's a true inversion from Satan. And again, God sets the standard, all right, for what love is. The commandments show us that. So when he says you, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul, that doesn't mean love the, the love that the world talks about, which is morally relative, it's perverted and it's satanic. That's not the the type of love God means at all. Loving God comes with wanting to live according to his ways and not the world's ways. Jesus even reconfirms this uh, same commandment 1,400 years later in Matthew 22 verses 36 to 40. Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is someone asking him. Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord Thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. 
On these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets, end quote. Now, first and foremost, once again, you don't just read certain uh, sections like that and then just come to a total conclusion. That's not how you do things. You then compare scripture with scripture to understand, okay, elaborate on that. What does that look like? What does that mean? So why does he specifically specify the second greatest this way? Like, why does he then emphasize after the person asks him what's the number one? He says the number one is to love God with all your heart, mind and soul. And then he adds, and the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Why does he do that? Because those two commandments when you break them down into practical life lessons, are then all ten commandments reflected in two. The ten commandments provide the specifics in practicality. So the how, what love looks like, right? Which is also why Jesus gave so many examples. Again, throughout all of the scriptures, that's not the one time he spoke or the one time he said anything. It's throughout the scripture, just like throughout all the Old Testament, God gives so many you, you see the way God responds throughout all the countless examples. That's why it's so important. And he answers them in parables that were relevant to their everyday lives. Just like today, people use storytelling to explain things because it makes more sense. So because even then, there was so much confusion on the laws of God and how to truly live by them, especially due to false teachings. So what one realizes when you actually start to truly get this and decide you want to please God and live by his way, not the world's way. You understand that God's laws are not a burden. Firstly, they're literally not a burden at all. They're not impossible to keep. Yeah, you heard me that right. They're not impossible to keep. And there's a lot of speak around today. Like, oh, how dare anyone even try to keep the law? How dare you even try? What are you talking about? How can it be so difficult? It can only be difficult when you're truly wicked in heart and you do not truly understand what Jesus did. So firstly, they're not a burden. They direct you in righteousness, which can only benefit you, by the way, and those around you. It's not, they're not restricting you. His laws are not a restriction. They are del- a delight. Okay, they are a pleasure to those that love him. When you understand these things and you understand that living the way God intended is actually you showing your love for him, then it pleases you to do so. Because number one, it shows you your love for him and also you benefit from it. It's not a restriction of freedom. It is the law of liberty. It is the enslavement to evil that is you chasing all of the wicked evil pleasures that people are so brainwashed to think that that's what freedom is self-mutilation self-exaltation destroying everything and everyone around you just so you can get ahead manipulating people what are the most sold books ever like what are the most sold books that are most popular today for people in terms of let's just say learning and education, oh, how to manipulate someone, how to make someone do this, right? How to pretend like you're this and that so that somebody would do this. Yeah. So they weren't impossible to fulfill and they're not. I really hear it often. 
It's impossible to follow the law, so don't bother at all. Just pray each night for forgiveness and you're good, man, you're good. I really want you to search your heart and ask yourself, does that sound right to you? Does that sound just? The law is completely irrelevant and all you need to do is pray for forgiveness each night and continue to live in any which way you want. The truth is, humans constantly betrayed God. That's the truth. It's not that the law was impossible to fulfill. It was that humans constantly betrayed God and turned away from him to do wicked things. That the other nations taught them. That's super important. This is the whole cultural influence. So these are not things that he taught them, but it's all things that other nations taught them. So they betrayed, they didn't betray God because it was unrealistic to live by his standards. No, no. But because people didn't respect him nor fear him. That's what true fear of God is. It's not a fear like runaway fear. It's a fear like reverence and respect for the almighty God that made everything, that made you so unique. You have a thumbprint that nobody else has. There's nobody on this planet that can create a flower. (laughs) that can create life, that can create anything in that essence. Only God can do this. So they didn't fear him, they didn't respect him, and they took his love and his mercy for granted. Now that's a very different outlook than you would have heard from most people, because again, think about it for yourself. In an important relationship... Do you willfully continue neglecting your loved one and expect them to put up with it? You know this isn't right. Moses, Noah, Abraham and many more are great examples of those who kept God's law and walked in his ways. So much so, God called Abraham his friend. And it is Abraham in which we who truly want that relationship with God and to walk in his ways are made part of his seed his offspring, quote, or generation, if you will. You you become grafted in. We're grafted into the olive tree of the everlasting covenant, which is a covenant is a contract, it's an agreement. It's 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 a dedication, the same type of one of holy matrimony and marriage, which is supposed to be, till death do us part, it's supposed to be a perpetual covenant. God takes things seriously. He's loyal. He's not a, you know, whatever. He does things with intent which, by the way, the marriage covenant comes from God. Man didn't make that. So does that sound like God doesn't care about his laws or whether you keep them? Does, it, does everlasting mean, not really, I'm just kidding? Again, ask God to show you the truth, and when he does, don't deny it, but hold on to it. Consider the impact Abraham had on all of us with his righteousness, that we are to be called his generation because of his example of trusting God. John 16, verses 21. Uh, Sorry, John, verses 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. End quote. I'll stop there for a second. This is where people stop and they think this means 
God loved the world so much that he just took care of everything for you. And he's not here to condemn you. He wants to save you, which means do what you want now. No, if you continue reading (laughs) within that very same chapter, you get more clarity into understanding what that means. So how is... How did his son save the world? Through his living example of the way. From verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. End quote. Because belief does what? What does belief actually do? It's not, again, remember at the beginning, it's not an entertaining a thought. A true belief that becomes part of your identity and it becomes part of how you view the world and what your values are, it transforms you. Believing in Jesus and what he taught means to take him seriously as truth. From verse 19, and this is the condemnation. So listen to this. Those who didn't, don't believe are condemned already. Why? Verse 19. This is the condemnation. That light is come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither comes to the light lest their deeds be reproved corrected but he that does truth comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest may appear that they are wrought that they are done in God end quote that's an extremely important clarifying point Jesus shows you the way when you believe in Jesus you see that he lived exactly according to God's way and when you take that on and understand ah that is the light that is the truth it changes you inside and it then makes you want to live and follow the way Jesus lived the perfect example but he's saying those are condemned that that deny that don't believe that and instead want to hold on to their own wicked ways And live their evil lives because they love the darkness. Because they don't want to be exposed by the light. Because what they do is evil. Whereas those that work in the light are quite happy to be in the light. Because their deeds are, as he said, done in God. Your deeds are coming from a pure place. To serve the good. So everyone that is of this truth... Hears my voice. That's what he says. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. So we have a basis for truth. God cannot lie. Scripture is the truth. Logical inconsistency within his word would be lying. And he doesn't lie. People lie. God doesn't lie. He's not logically inconsistent. He is the maker of logic. He gave you your logic. This is one massive thing and I won't go into it here because I want to carry on with this one. But altering your state of consciousness and taking mind-altering substances such as drugs and so on to change your state of consciousness is not what God wants you to do. Why would you want to alter your state of consciousness? All you're doing there is distorting it. 
It's perverted. God wants you to use your logic, to use your sound judgment, which is to use your God-given rationale, to be alert with your mind. Use your mind. Use it to learn, to study, to speak with him, to discern. So the truth is the way and the light. In Psalm 119, verse 142, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth, end quote. Did you hear that? The law is the truth. Jesus walked perfectly in the truth. He did not abolish the law. He fulfilled it. Those are two very separate terms. And Jesus specifically uses them within the same sentence to clarify exactly that. Fulfilling the law does not mean doing away with it. He fully obeyed it. He fully lived it. He was the perfect example. Please listen closely because this is where so many people seem to have this completely misconstrued. Ah, the law is done away with. The law is done away with. Listen on. Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 and 18. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. End quote. That is very clear language. Again, Jesus is the truth today, yesterday and forever. He doesn't change. So he didn't say anything without cause. He didn't just, why would he say this? Why would he specifically say, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And until the end of the world, literally till heaven and earth pass, not one aspect of the law shall pass until everything is fulfilled. Why would he say this? Please search your heart. And we will get to exactly what that means. Please bear with me. There's so much to cover. And even in this episode, and I cannot cover it all, but every piece is important. So pay attention. In our genuine desire to seek and have a relationship with God, Jesus shows us the way by teaching the following. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which builds his house upon a rock. And the rain descends and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon sand and the rain descends and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell, and great was the fall of it. End quote. What was the sayings like what was the sayings that Jesus was teaching? He was not preaching that everyone should be believing in his death and resurrection in order to find life. No, he, he was walking around with them. He wasn't te- it's constantly throughout all of the gospels, Jesus is teaching. So what's he teaching? He's not teaching about everybody needs to believe that I died on a cross for you. No. Even his disciples didn't understand what he meant by those sayings when he told them in private. He was telling them in private, you know, I'm going to be betrayed by humanity. You know, I'm going to be uh, killed uh, and so on and so forth, but I will rise again. And they didn't understand what he was saying because it was in the moment. I want you to imagine this, like the, the prophecies in the Bible are so profound, um, 
Imagine being a prophet in the year like 1000 BC and you're being shown a prophetic message for like in 2000 years. Like it just, it wouldn't make even sense to you when things are, you can't relate to them in your everyday life. That's why he kept using parables parables and stories so that they can make a correlation, but also so that only those who were genuinely seeking the truth would hear and those who weren't, who were there just to see what signs and miracles and magic tricks he could show them, that they would fall away, they would go away, they would become uninterested. So it's a, it's a, it's a way he was separating setting apart, remember, those who truly love him and believe in him and those who don't. So he wasn't going around teaching, hey, everybody, you need to believe that I died on the cross for you. He was alive. He was teaching them. So what was he teaching? He taught the word of God with authority as the son of God, and he upheld the law. He was teaching how to live by the law. The Ten Commandments is the moral law. I'm not talking about the 613 Jewish traditional things. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not the same thing. He was teaching how to live by the law. His sacrifice that then came to his physical death, a sinless man that perfectly lived by the law of God, that took the sins of the entire world, being the perfect sin offering... Okay, and again, to understand what sin offerings even are, you need to read all of the Old Testament scriptures to understand what sin offerings even were. He was the perfect sin offering once and for all, once, once. Jesus didn't continue dying after that. It was once that those who believe in him repent and turn towards God. What is repentance? Repentance means to actually have a true conviction in your heart that, whoa, oh, I see what I was doing was actually wrong. I see what I was doing was wicked. You see, if you love the wickedness, you don't see it's wrong. You're like, no, I love it. So you you have a genuine conviction in your heart. You're like, oh, wow, I'm not a good person. Oh, wow, I actually really messed up. And you feel a genuine godly sorrow, which therefore means you remove it. You turn away from it and you turn towards God. That's what true repentance is. It's not, yes, I believe in God, but I'm going to do all the things that he hates. That's not repentance. So he was the perfect sin offering once and for all. For those that who believe in him would then repent. So you believe that what he's done is he's the perfect and only one final sin sacrifice that cleanses your sins before God's eyes. God blots them out with a cloud. He blots them out and he puts your name in the book of life. Again, these are all things, there's more details, but I'm not going into those now. There's not time. That you then repent and you literally change and live in accordance with his laws. That's the point. You're supposed to repent. You're supposed to change your ways and no longer have a wicked heart. Because before, you see, when they were doing sin sacrifices with like bulls and lambs and all the rest of it, that's not just because it was a nice thing that God wanted. Again, human beings kept betraying him. So he would always come up with the solutions, constantly trying to rekindle the relationship with, with, with man so that we would not 
just basically be walking dead and done like without him and all the ways that he has rekindled the relationship we would have been dead already long ago like in general in spirit as well but nowadays anyone that walks around on the earth today is already walking dead it is through the understanding and acknowledging and believing in what Jesus did for you and then changing your ways that actually leads you to life and there's so much in understanding that which I'm going to do a separate episode on understanding the true gospel of Jesus and what it meant I cannot go into too much detail on it now but that you understand that all those sin sacrifices that people were doing which was to just do these rituals of uh, sacrificing lambs and so on and so forth because it's in the blood the, the life is in the blood so it's an atonement, it's a, it's a forgiveness and a mercy that you get from the sin, which basically means that if you don't die yourself, someone dies in your place. That's why the animals were dying in their place. But what was the point? The point was that after that, you'd stop sinning. You'd stop being lawless. You'd stop being a wretched person. You'd stop being wicked. But that didn't happen. People just made it like a cultural thing. Oh, it's time to offer the sin sacrifice. Let me get over. Does this not sound familiar today? People go to their so-called, you know, weekly um, service of their religious building, wherever they go. But they just came from, you know, a night out. A night out doing all kinds of wretched things. It's the same thing. Please understand the earnestness of this message. Because many have been fooled and led astray into thinking that repentance and truly changing your way and changing your heart and then living by God's laws is completely irrelevant and that's just not true and that's what I'm proving to you throughout all of this and showing you so that it may open your eyes or that God may open your eyes and that you can have that wisdom but if you've if you switch off from it or if you already have then it was never for you I'm just hoping for those that it is actually for that that this can truly shift you so that you can gain life back and genuinely build your relationship with God that you do whilst you still have time, whilst you're still alive, because once we're dead, it's already too late. Luke 13, verse 3. I tell you, no, unless you all repent, you shall all likewise perish. End quote. So there's just so much more to cover on that. So please, again, have patience to listen and learn and make sure you search the scriptures and pray to God for discernment. Continuing with what Jesus taught is to have a true relationship and desire to be part of God's people. That's what he's teaching. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. End quote. Here he's making a very clear distinction between trusting in the devilish pleasures of the body, which all perish, right? No one takes away any of their riches or material things with them. It all perishes when we go. And instead, trusting in your maker in heaven, who blesses you with everlasting life. You understanding there is actually more to life than just what you physically have, like your car or your house or your pile of money. Okay, this is more serious. This is about your soul and your eternal life. You do not just disappear when you die. And even if you believe that, 
is it worth being wrong about that if the the alternative is actually you don't just die but you're either going to be eternally living in good life close to god which is what would be called heaven or in eternal suffering and damnation which is hell you be the judge of that so this is emphasizing because neutrality doesn't exist okay he's emphasizing this all the time and i always have as well one must choose either you're on team good or you're team evil as i say team god or team satan which by the way is not actually a competition as god is the most high and no one is above him but yet many will still choose to rebel against god by the false promises of evil let me repeat that there is no competition god is the most high no one is above him no one can like overrule god so anything you've been told by the satanic world that gives you these supposed counterfeit powers, they're lying to you and you're being fooled and you're risking your soul. Yet people will still choose to rebel against God, your maker, by the false promises of evil. So instead of falling for those traps of worldly pleasures, which are all fleeting and, and don't mean anything, Jesus says in verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. End quote. He's saying, seek God first. Prioritize God first. And when I say first, I mean first. He comes before everything. That's what it means to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. He's the number one priority. And the rest, the needs that you have, they shall be added. Because you had faith in him and his guidance. And by the way, when you do actually put God first... You become a better person, as therefore then everybody around you benefits from that. So to truly know him, we are to understand his character. It's embedded in his laws. And that way we are able to then please him, not our own selfish desires. Matthew 7 verses 21 to 23. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity or lawlessness. End quote. I mean, that's so clear. You that work iniquity, lawlessness. This is speaking to people who, they're not foreign to God. They're not foreign to Jesus. They claim to believe in him. Do you understand? They're claiming to believe in him and to even do wondrous works in his name. And he's saying, I don't know you. You workers of iniquity, you workers of lawlessness. They're evil in their deed. They don't truly believe because they did not change in heart. They did not prioritize God. They made it about glorifying themselves, which is unfortunately the number one tenet of Satanism, is to be God yourself. And this is across the board. This is not just in religion. You see this everywhere, whether people are atheist, agnostic, religious, spiritual, and all the rest of it. People utilize God's glory. They utilize God's power, but they deny where it came from. And they want to exalt themselves. So the message here is very important. Praise him not with your lips only, 
nor use God's glory to glorify yourself, lest you be like the hypocrites that profess godliness without practicing what they preach. There are many of those around today. Be not like them. Be set apart as a true believer and seeker of the one true God. He delights in our thanksgiving, in our prayers, our offerings of praise and obedience to his righteous ways, being doers of the word and not just hearers. Some examples we can learn from. Psalm 26, verse 7. That I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. End quote. Thanking God from your heart genuinely means something to him. It's not just a thanks, mate. It's a meaningful prayer, a psalm, a song, a communion with other fellow sisters and brothers in Christ. Being specific and sincere with it. It means something to him. That's, that's our sacrificial sacrifices to him. Is being true followers of his word, living by his laws, and sacrificing in thanksgiving, prayer and praise. Hosea 6 verse 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. End quote. This is so important, guys. This is going back to, as I said, the burnt offerings is what's no longer the case. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice in terms of blood sacrifice and atonement. He became the new will, right? That's why it's said a, testate, uh, a testament is only valid when the testator dies, that's referring to a will, you know, like when somebody dies and then their will states what happens to their property, who it goes to and so on. That's what Jesus did. And in his will is the blood of his covenant, which is the promise that your sins, your iniquities, your lawlessness, your transgressions against God are blotted out. They are forgiven and you no longer need to burn, give burnt offerings through ceremonial things, ceremonial practices. Because you have the advocate of Jesus who sits on the right hand of God. So you go through Jesus. You go through him every time. You, you, every time you're, you've changed your heart, you're living by the laws. And should you make a mistake, which you do. But that's very different from willfully being immoral, willfully sinning. Very different. But should you make a mistake... Your advocate becomes Jesus, which you pray in his name to come to the Father so that you can show that. You can show that you're sorry and ask for that mercy and forgiveness. That's the difference. It's not that you no longer have to go and then do a burnt offering in the, in the, in the temple because there's also no temple anymore, you see. But he did not abolish the moral laws. It is the sacrificial ceremonial ones that he replaced fully as a perfect one time, again, one time ceremony, you're also not supposed to all, one time atonement, you're also not supposed to keep killing Christ. Don't take it for granted. So in this verse, Hosea 6, 6, I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He desired mercy. He wants to show mercy he didn't want the whole sacrifice thing. He doesn't want to go through all these different things. He wants to see that you have the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? 
knowing his word, knowing his character, knowing who he is so you can live like him. He says he's holy and you should also be holy. That's what set, holy means, set apart. God's people are to be holy, set apart. So God is expressing the importance of your heart towards him. That knowing him, you would choose not to betray him. So you wouldn't need to do the whole asking sorry, asking for mercy, doing a burnt offering. Because you don't want to betray him. You're not trying to go against him. You would extend loving kindness as does he. This is a very powerful verse to understand the reason why any of the sacrifices were put in place at all. The deeper meaning was for people to come to know their wrongdoings when needing to do the physical sacrifices and offerings. That's the point so that the physical practice of oh we need to make this sacrifice where we have to actually like something has to die for us in our place and we have to offer this living blood like that was supposed to be enough like you know killing an innocent animal for example I mean I don't know where you are in terms of your food preferences but I certainly can assure you anybody even whether you actually eat meat or not most people don't like the image of murdering animals so imagine every time they had to go and do that. I believe it was in God's heart to say, oh, they will, they will see that every time an innocent animal needs to be killed to save them for their atonement. And instead of it changing their hearts, in it doing so that they would no longer sin or do wrong, it became a practicing ritual. They just did it and the purpose was void. They were like, oh, time to do, better, better do my sin atonement. This is why God states the offerings are burdensome to his soul, because they're done with bloody hands who didn't want to change their ways. Jesus again reaffirms this in his teachings. Matthew 12 verse 7. But if you had known what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. End quote. Do you see how Jesus is quoting directly from the Old Testament, that's him quoting directly from Hosea. He does that a lot throughout the New Testament as well, reaffirming God's word, the importance of it, that it's not just done away with. Jesus was rebuking the people for following traditions, man-made traditions, in a militant manner, forgetting completely what they were even made for, what they were put in place for. He does this throughout his teachings when you understand this and then you read the Gospels, you'll, this will become very clear for you. Where he's clarifying the importance and point of faith in God with all we do according to his word. Proverbs 16 verse 16. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. End quote. The fear of the Lord is respect and reverence for him. You know the Lord your God when you understand to fear him is wisdom. For he is the only living God that made all of creation and can both create and destroy. If you cringe at the thought of fearing God, you do not know him. Seek the wisdom in his word and he will work on your heart. As he himself states in Isaiah 45 verses 21 to 24. Tell ye and bring them near. Yes, let them take counsel together who has declared this from ancient time. 
Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a saviour. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. End quote. And so he's clarifying over and over again. That's in the Old Testament. Again, that's Isaiah, which is a hugely prophetic book, by the way, as are many of them. And he's over and over again explaining he's the only God. There is no other God. So when he sees people, when he looks down on his creation and sees people making gods out of like statues or, you know, nature or specific objects or, again, using the deceitful things of of Satanism, like with all the witchcraft and making these whatever circles and things like this, it, it hurts him. It hurts him because you're denying him. You're betraying him. And so we thank God with what we have. Not how much we have, but with a pure heart. Like you would with a loved one. It's the thought you put into the thanksgiving, not the dollars, right? It's not about, oh, let me give God, you know, whatever, $100 a month. No, it's the thought. It's like you're actually thinking on him, oh, I didn't spend time with God today. Like, let me spend some time with God in prayer today. That's how you've got to look at it. It's so important to understand that God is a personal being for that to make any sense. That is a pivotal thing that that is totally, totally misconstrued and taken out of of the world for people to understand that, that God is not this, just this energy field that's impersonal and based on mathematics or based on patterns and cycles and it's just we're just cycling like cycling souls and cycling lives and no one knows what's going on no he's a personal being he made us with intention the intricate intelligence and design of our world is proof enough that there is an intelligent designer the very fact that humans have the level of intellect we have proves that there is a higher being that has higher level of intellect than we have in order to even make us. We're not just some random explosion of randomness, of nothingness, bashing together and then creating perfect order. Just like when you see a building, you can clearly see that there was a builder, there was an architect, there was someone that designed it. There was, it didn't just fall out of the air and make windows and doors and corridors and, and, um, and pipes and, and, and what have you. Like It was very intentional. It's exactly the same with everything you see in creation. But I won't go too far of a tangent into that. So a great example in this Thanksgiving and how important that is and having a pure heart towards having a relationship with God is given by Jesus in Mark 12 verses 41 to 44. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how people cast money into the treasury This is at the temple where they would visit for for God and prayer. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two coins, which make a penny. And he called unto his disciples. So again, this is him teaching. Calls to his disciples and says, 
Verily I say unto you that this poor widow has cast in more than all of them which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in all of their abundance, but she of her want, of her desire, cast in all that she had, even all her living. End quote. This is not about how much money she gave. This is the point that she makes God her number one priority. She understands when she puts her full trust in God that he protects and looks after her. It's more important. God God is who she trusts in, not money. Thus, as you are beginning to see, one who is truly somebody who's truly of God, is set apart, which is what holy means, to set yourself apart from the evil of this world by being of God. And we do so by becoming anew. This is where the term born again comes from. You actually have a very real shift in your conscience towards the good and away from evil. I've spoken about conscience infinitum over the years in understanding that That's your inbuilt moral compass within you, but it doesn't automatically function properly, if you see what I mean. In a world that's run by evil, you can easily suppress your conscience or you can easily turn evil and wicked and not even have any, just have no feeling towards any things that are injustice related or morally related. Or you can have your conscience fully tapped in, knowing good and evil by truly being born again. This is more than just a feeling or an idea, it's a way of life. Integrity then being the living workmanship of God. You see, we are his workmanship. So in the way we live, as it's also written, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Oh, okay, we're created unto what? Good works. Again, none of his words are meaningless in scripture. What is good works? Living according to his law. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become anew. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. That's that atonement, right? Jesus Christ has actually rekindled your relationship with God. That's why he's so important. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteousness of God in him. End quote. That is so important and powerful. You, you need to actually sit with that and understand what gift Jesus actually is for us. Without him and what he physically did here, we're all, we're all dead. Until you understand that, which you won't if you don't learn like all the things I'm teaching you uh, throughout these series, but also you bothering to diligently read and study yourself the word of God, then having that true contrition in your heart and realizing. If you don't know that, that you were, you know, diseased, that there was something wrong with you, then you won't appreciate the cure. And so if Jesus was the cure and what he did for the atonement for you to actually have a chance with God again, Okay, and remember, this is a chance. It's not, it's not a given. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. It is an opportunity, which requires how are you then going to live? 
after that, after you're born again, after you're born anew. Remember, that's what he's saying. When you truly are a man in Christ, when you truly are a woman in Christ, when you truly do believe in what he did and you truly believe the God of the Bible, again, reading from all the Old Testament towards new, you will change and become of righteousness. will be made the righteousness of God in you. So God's mercy and his grace is not to be exploited. It's not to be exploited. This is not a free pass to do whatever you want. But to cherish like the greatest treasure one can receive. Shown through your true change in heart, mind and soul. So Jesus is the cure for the walking dead. Okay. Which is the law of sin. All right. There is a law of sin. Jesus is the cure for the walking dead, which is all the people who walk in lawlessness, iniquity, and sin. You're, you're dead. That's the point. Like you, You're dead already, and you're dead in spirit, meaning that there's no hope for you whatsoever. Jesus is the hope to life, okay? Luke 5, verse 32. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, end quote, to realize your wrongs in the past. That you, you understand and you experience a contrite heart. You actually have like a broken heart. I remember like crying on end. Like uh, it was, it's nothing about you, your own life. It's not like you, you feeling heartbroken, contrite heart about some situation in your life. Again, me personally, I had a good life. I was not desperate. I was not seeking. He drew me to him, which again is written in scripture. He calls, you only know him when he calls you to him. So... I was like crying, it still happens to me all the time, but like there was, in the beginning periods, I was crying for days on end from godly sorrow, godly sorrow, truly understanding what he has done for us as our God, what he's had to endure with us ever since we've existed and how truly we're not good, like that we need him. Like you genuinely feel a contrite heart, like this heartbreak towards God. I don't know how else to explain it to you other than that. And again, it's not selfish. It's not about you. It's a genuine sorrow towards God. And with that, you have a true intent and action, not just intent, but action to turn away from it, to turn away from your wrongs. So this is not, of course, not without its challenges, like with anything in life. I don't know, again, how this is another misconception. You just got to believe and therefore... You know, forget the fact that you have to go throughout life and just, you know, if you still have addictions or do lots of horrible things, well, you know, it's just because you're not, you're not, um, Jesus doesn't love you or you're not praying enough or whatever. No, you're still a human being in a human world. This is where all the skills and tools I've taught people for, I don't know, more than a decade now, like 15 years about self-discipline about mastering your mind and emotions, about mastering what you do, positive habits. That stuff is still real, guys. It doesn't just go away. You're a human and you need to show, you need to show that you mean it. So it's not without its challenges, like with anything in life. And it's indeed an internal battle, as I've called it, between body and spirit. I teach this much, like a lot on this, with mastering thoughts and emotions. There is training necessary 
You're training your brain. You're training yourself. You're training your body in new habits and behaviors. Uh, you can go to liveintraining.com to, to look at those. I have seminars. I have courses on various things of that, of that nature for people that want to actually basically take control of their mind and their emotions and not just be a slave to their, to their body. So as Jesus alludes to with his analogy of new and old wine, he, he alludes to this, where the old habits of the body will fight the new mind of the spirit. I love how he says this. In Luke 5, verses 38 and 39. But new wine must first be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straight away desires a new wine, for he says the old is better. <laughs> End quote. I like the way he says that because it's true. People like, for example, with wine specifically, they'll say the older the wine, the better. And he's what he's alluding to here is that when you get that new new heart when you're born again with the spirit of god your body is gonna fight it you're not just gonna be like all of a sudden la 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 like your body's gonna fight it depending on where you are in your life depending on how many addictions you have depending on what your lifestyle is already it'll be harder or easier that i can't tell that's a personal thing for you but that is not a uh indicator that you know god isn't doing it for you or something when your body is struggling no that's an indicator that your body is struggling your new spiritual mind because your body is carnal it's going to want to hold on to those old attachments that's where that training is necessary that's where you being persistent with that is necessary again in also in romans chapter 8 verses 7 and 9 because the carnal mind is enmity against God that's like a hostile towards God for it is not subject to the law of God did you hear that not subject to the law of God neither indeed can it be so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God but you are not in the flesh you are in the spirit if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you now if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is none of this end quote Did you hear that? We see the distinction between being led by the spirit, which is the law of God. So you become led by the spirit when you live by his laws. You live spiritually rather than just as if you're a beast on this earth. Do you understand? It's a completely different mindset. It's a completely different way of living. That's why you're set apart. And yes, there won't be many people around you that do the same. That's why it's called being set apart. God knows this full well. He knows it full well. And he can see his people, who's set apart and who is of the world. Being a slave to lawlessness is hostile towards God. So this is very important to understand. Again, I can and will in future teachings delve deeper into these specific topics as well. Because they are dismissed by many, not realising that it is paramount to your life. Okay, you don't... You don't stop ceasing, you don't cease to exist the moment you come to know God or the moment that you believe in Jesus. You don't cease to exist, do you? You still have to live your whole life. However long that is, whether it be one year, 20 years, another 70 years. Remember, practical application, what does it mean in life? You cannot be lukewarm or undecided. It is either light or dark. 
good or evil. These verses are clearly distinguishing between the two so that you can understand how to truly walk with God in your journey throughout life. So we are to be set apart in God's name to represent his character and walk in his ways. He mentions this as infinitum throughout scripture that, you know, his people were profaning his name, you know, profaning, like making it to everybody. They're supposed to be example. They were all supposed to, his nation, the Israelite nation was supposed to be an example to all the other nations, which were all already doing terrible things. And instead of being the example, they kept betraying him and then following what the others were doing and profaned his name. It's like when somebody's uh, intentionally goes to slander and ruin someone's reputation. That's what he's talking about. So when you're set apart in God's name, you represent his character and his ways. We are to truly understand and accept the sacrifice Jesus made for our atonement of our wrongdoings. Not to neglect it, as so many have been led astray to do, by ravening wolves in sheep's clothing, as is written in scripture as well. Be aware of ravening wolves that are trying to devour you in sheep's clothing. And he refers to the sheep's clothing being as people pretending to be God's people, right? Listen closely. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 29. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for our judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. This is justice or judgment day. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore a punishment, suppose you, shall he be thought worthy, who has trodden under the foot of the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing and has done despite under, unto the Spirit of grace? End quote. Woo! Again, this is not like fluffy language. This is why every time when, and really it's been quite shocking to see the ignorance that I receive from some people. Uh, again, I've received many wonderful uh, messages from people that have been enlightened by these teachings. But there are, I suppose, you know, the very traditional religious folk who have perhaps been brought up with the traditions of men and have never genuinely read the Bible themselves and got to know God themselves that will totally ignorantly send me just this like one-liner quote from the Bible, like the God is love, and go to basically disregard everything else in the Bible. It's just sad. It's sad that the the wall is that thick over your eyes. And I just, I hope sincerely for you that you actually go to look at scripture yourself and get to know the truth and not listen to what other so-called authority figures, as I said, religious leaders, political figures, celebrities and what have you, through some third party that you heard about. But instead that you come to know the truth. There's so much contradiction in, in the way, and, and unfortunately, a lot of them being very malicious um, and very unkind people. But does what I just read to you sound like the Ten Commandments are done away with? Does it sound like Jesus' sacrifice was an excuse for one to willfully continue in sin and bondage to evil? No, for it is an abomination 
to take God's mercy and grace. This is favour. This is favour in God's eyes that we have not earned and take it for granted. Assuming we can continue to sacrifice the Son of God over and over again with man-made rituals of confessions and ceremonies and so on. Again, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. I'm simply pointing out to you the scriptures and what our father, Yahweh, and his only begotten son have shown us in truth. Jesus is not an eternal perpetual sacrifice to atone for all future sins. God's law shows us the way. Jesus lived the way. He is the image of righteousness. Did He's the image. The law showed us a, uh, like a, um, a reflection of the way. Jesus was the exact image as in the portrayal of this is how you live. All right, again, there's so much to say here, but let us continue with studying and truly understanding the scriptures as God is consistent and does not contradict himself. We see just a few verses earlier, it is explained exactly why willful sin, after having the knowledge of truth, is not tolerated. Listen carefully, because many have not changed their ways, and yet they wear Jesus as a badge of honour, because it is about your conscience in truth. Remember that. It's not about wearing Jesus as a badge. It is about your conscience in truth. Hebrews 10.10 By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. End quote. This is why Jesus said it is finished before he died on the cross. In other words, the case is settled, if you think like a court case, in that the strength and power of his innocent bloodshed be that which finally changes the hearts and minds of the people of the world. Because without him, we are all walking dead in our transgressions. I hope you understand what I've just said there, because this was a huge revelation that God gave to me as I was studying all of this and asking for him. People did not have a genuine change of heart and mind through the sacrifice of innocent bloodshed of animals. So if the innocent bloodshed of a perfect, holy, just, sinless man that was the only begotten son of God does not change your heart, that is like the ultimate test, if you will, or trial. Like, you have to be that wicked to not see how important and how incredible this was, right? So, so continuing on, Hebrews 10, verses 11 to 12. And every priest stands daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins but this man, after he offered once sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, end quote. Man, the scripture is all so powerful. I could talk on them for, at infin like for so long. So please remember, there's always more to all of this. And I'm trying to keep this as succinct as possible. But remember, precept upon precept, learning upon learning. This stuff takes time. There's no soundbite clips that you can learn these truths. So enemies 
when it says make his enemies his footstool, this is his adversaries. This is what I just referred to earlier. To the people that will deny the truth, that will be sent by God, you know, um, people that give them this information, like right, like right now, like right now you're listening to somebody who's actually giving you this truth. And so if you choose to deny it, he will put you on that list of someone who's denied him and denies the truth. And so where it says, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, his enemies are his adversaries. There's people that are against him. Remember, those are the people who choose evil rather than God. For God is goodness. There is no evil in God. God is goodness. So when you choose to be against him, you are choosing evil and wickedness. And that is an enemy against God. He's very clear. So again, the reason why they're saying here, this is super important because this is about the ceremonial laws I was talking about earlier. This has got nothing to do with the moral law, which is where people get all this confused. Where it says every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. That is what I said to you guys earlier. This is where they would continue to go to the temple and sacrifice the animals and what have you um, as a ritual. And the reason he says it can never take away sins is not because the law doesn't take away your sin and what have you. Well, no, it doesn't. The law in itself shows you your iniquity. It shows you your lawlessness and it shows you the character of God. So the law itself, of course, it does not take away your sin. It exposes the darkness within you so that you will have that contrite heart and that you will turn to God and stop sinning. So that's why he's saying they can continue to do all those rituals, but it's never going to take away sin because no one's changing. And that's why he says this man, this Jesus, after he'd offered once the perfect sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now the advocate that when you actually believe, put your trust in him, he is your advocate at the right hand of God. I don't, uh, people don't understand just how incredible this is. Meaning that before there were so many rituals because we were so fallen, we were so disconnected from God, it was almost impossible for anyone to ever reach God anymore from a nation that used to be fully walking with God every day. It became that there were special people and priests and, and bishops and all the rest of it that had to do certain sacrifices in certain parts of the temple and only they would be able to even get messages from God and all this kind of thing. You now have a literal direct line to God through your advocate. So if you imagine like you're in a courtroom, Jesus Christ is the advocate. He's your advocate. He's your lawyer, okay, as an advocate, on the right hand of God, and that every time, and this is uh, when I'm saying for you, I mean for people who have actually chosen to trust and believe in, in Jesus and to trust and believe in God and to actually change your life and be in service to him. And if you haven't done that yet, I do hope, I do hope that this is at least helping you consider it. In that, every time you have an issue in that you, you make a mistake, your advocate is Jesus and you go to him through your prayers. That's the point. It's not you no longer have to go and make a sacrifice of an animal or what have you. That's the thing. And people keep saying, oh, it's the Ten Commandments are done away with. No, it's, got, it's not talking about the moral laws. I really hope you understand this because there's so much of the New Testament where this is actually very clear. 
when you understand what I'm saying to you right now. But if you don't understand that, you'll read every time you see anything about sin and law in the New Testament, you're just assuming it means the Ten Commandments. But it doesn't. It's super important. So therefore, you can experience true conviction of your wrongdoings, a literal shift in mindset, contrition for your wicked ways. Like literally, I'm t- I, was, I was bawling my eyes out, man. I, I, I was so crying so much from the depths of my soul. And, and this is what you'll experience, like that you realise the fact you were not a good person as you thought in the eyes of God. Because remember, his standards are high. They're not impossible, but his standards are not your standards. So how you, you, you'll, you'll feel that contrition to how you didn't know God at all. You can now take the gift of grace from Jesus' sacrifice to cleanse you and to sanctify you that you may be reconciled to God. And this is a very real shift that happens within you. I, I, I do my best to explain it in various ways, but some things are difficult to explain that are spiritual. Spiritually discerned things are spiritually explained or understood it's like the peace is is immense um the connection is immense the spiritual connection is immense so much around everything your strength it's just derived from this pureness of god it's just so incredible that's why no one can really truly backslide is this phrase where they believe and then they basically go and become an atheist or something. I honestly don't understand how that happens for people unless they truly weren't actually truly convicted and became genuine believers and children of God. But if that is anybody, I just want you to understand it's never too late. It's literally never too late. You can take so many steps in the wrong direction, but it's only one step ever that you need to take back towards God. Just remember that. So you choose to let go of your wicked ways. You choose that none of that means anything to you. And you walk in his ways, having faith that he did sanctify you. That's the whole point of the faith, is that understanding that you actually, the faith part part, and the hope part, is the hope and faith in the promise that when you, when this life is over, you will have eternal life and be living with God in a incredible place because you're not going to die. You don't just disappear. That's the promise. So when you hold on to that promise, you will live by the promise. Whereas when you don't, then you'll be like, well, whatever. Who knows really when God will be back? Who knows really when the end is coming? Who knows really if any of this even is real? You know, I'll just, I'll just live my way. That is what then, you know, defiles you. That's what then get, takes you off track and then, and then you lose yourself and you lose him. So that faith actually is important in understanding that, yes, he did sanctify me. I don't need to see some magical miracle to believe because guess what? Endless accounts of people did and they still didn't believe. And even if you ask someone today, if they're super honest, at least they can be intellectually honest with you, is that if they saw, if God showed up to them right in front of their face, right now today, it was judgment day, the end of the world is here. And they literally said, 
I am God, you should have no other gods before me. Do you believe in me? Will you give up everything in your life and follow me? As Jesus said to everybody when he was here. There are people today that will literally say that even though they can see and therefore believe, they say, no, I wouldn't give up my life and follow him because I want to keep my life. Meaning they want to keep the pleasures of, the, they, of their material life. So that, that's the thing. The truth is not, as I said, not for everyone. Just because, just because you don't like it or you don't want to hear it doesn't mean it's not true. It's either going to convict you or it isn't. It's either going to lead you towards wanting to get to know God more or it isn't. But the, the excuses can't be there that you didn't hear it. In Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us, meaning set apart for higher purpose. Through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, end quote. <laughs> wow. You see? It is about your conscience. This is really, this is the revelation I had that I've not seen, honestly, anyone talk about. It's about your conscience. Jesus changes your conscience to be that of a seeker of righteousness and not wickedness. Truth and not falsehood. This will be clearly evident in your deeds, which is your fruit, because you will want to draw near to God more and more. You will be seeking to read his word. You'll be seeking to pray. You'll be seeking to learn from his work, wisdom and to truly be close to him. He becomes your priority and your standard for everything in life. And if that hasn't occurred and you remained exactly the same as before, changing nothing and not seeking to be closer to him more than you were, then reflection and correction is necessary. I simply invite you to look within and to be honest with yourself and to seek guidance from your beloved Father in heaven and he shall reveal the truth to you when you seek him in truth. So God's law being the truth, what is the law of death we were talking about earlier? I said there's this law of sin, the law of death. We are told very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 30 what the two consequences are of either denying the law or embracing the law of God. This is so paramount and this is where, again, a lot of confusion in the New Testament comes in. Wherever the word law is written, they just assume the law of life, the law of liberty, which is the Ten Commandments. And it's not at all that. That's the law you need to keep. There are two laws he's referring to in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And these are the laws of good and life, or death and evil, or death and sin. This is so important to understand. So much of the New Testament talks of these laws, and yet many believe. Anytime the word law is mentioned in the New Testament, it just means God's law itself. No, no. Let's see the difference clearly stated by the Lord our God. Again, remember we are to compare scripture with scripture. So here we are. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 to 20. See, I have set before you this day life and good and death and evil. 
In that, I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, or grab onto him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. End quote. Now, this is not only relevant to the people of the time, which some may claim. It is a clear instruction for life to all people, all people on earth. The difference between life and death, good and evil, the choice is yours, free will. Do the law of the spirit and live or go against it and have death. I've been teaching a version of this for so many years. So when I came to understand it from the Bible, it truly spoke to my heart. For I was acknowledging his ways, yet I did not know him personally, which is something that is only possible through reading his word, because I was missing a very important piece, loving him with all my heart, mind and soul. This whole episode about the number one commandment, the highest of them all. And how could I when I didn't know who he was? Do you see how important it is to hear his word? It's as important as food to our stomachs. A lawyer asked Jesus about this being the first and most important commandment, to which Jesus responded, confirming what was written in Deuteronomy 1,400 years earlier. So again, Jesus is reaffirming this is still relevant. It's not just for them. Right? Again, remember, God's void word does not return to him void. He doesn't just say things that don't mean anything. Luke chapter 10, verse 28. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and you shall live. End quote. You shall live. Do the law of spirit and live, or go against it and have death. God is specific. He said live. He didn't say do this and you'll have brownie points. It's the law of life. We also learn in Deuteronomy how God was to set his people apart, to mark them that they are different to the nations and a light to all who have ears to hear and eyes to see. That's why he tells people to be a light unto the world, to be a light unto the nations, so that people will see that they're the example of, wow, who are these people? Who's, who's this God that these people serve? Like, look how honorable they are. Look at these amazing morals they have. Look at this incredible integrity they have. That's the point, to represent his character, right? Not to, not to defile and profane his name. So how were people to be marked or set apart? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all thy might. 
And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt buy them for a sign upon thine hand, deeds, and they shall be as a frontlet between thine eyes, thoughts. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates, end quote. He continues to teach them on understanding the importance of educating these things to your children and future generations, lest they forget and fall away. Again, for time, I cannot go into all of this, so I urge you to study the scripture for yourself. But this happens today. People forget all the time. That phrase, history repeats itself, is because people forget. Generations are not taught. This is so important. Education is the basis for everything and people go around mocking it. People don't want to listen to anyone that's an educator anymore. People think this isn't even work. People want to actually tell me this isn't work. Because everything's an AI algorithm now, right? AI will think for you. Artificial intelligence, put it in the computer, it'll do the thinking for you. No. No. Education matters and education from the right places with the right frame of mind and with the right principles and morals. He reconfirms this in Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand. They may be as frontlets between your eyes. End quote. I also want you to note here that there is a similar type of mark that's mentioned in the book of Revelation, okay, which is the book, the last book in the Bible, and it's actually prophetic and it's about still the time to come. There's a lot in the book of Revelation that's still to come, but I can actually assure you we're already witnessing and experiencing the beginnings of it, or the uh, birthing pains, as it's called. When it comes to the mark of the beast, okay, the Antichrist, I'm not going to go into detail of that now, that's another topic. But with that in mind, you can see that even though we may not know exactly what the mark of the Antichrist is, clearly there is a differentiator in the mark of Yahweh, in the mark of God, which he has just explained means your thoughts and your actions are based in loving him. This is how God knows. That's your sign between God and you that you have chosen him and are part of his people. Your thoughts and your actions are based on him, not self-indulgence as with evil. This is so critical. Again, there are many that believe the law is completely irrelevant. I'm hoping that these teachings are opening your ears and opening your eyes to the truth of how contradicting and nonsensical that is. Remember, God doesn't contradict himself. Listen to Jesus reaffirming this in Matthew 5, verses 17 to 18. Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. End quote. Now with the modern teachings, can you see how this statement from Jesus would not make any sense? Why would he say this if it was not the truth? Jesus showed the way. He is the way because he lived a perfect example of adherence to God's word. Jesus delivered us from the curse of our own disobedience to the law and showed us how to walk in the law. He did what was expected. That is what fulfill means. Not to do away with. It means to live out. Again, there are many, many more verses that confirm these. I can only quote so many. This contradiction 
or this con- this contradicts what man-made traditions teach. And I know this is one that many people are unsure about. I see it because it's intellectually dishonest. It doesn't make sense. I can see can people confused by it today. This constantly because and I want you to remember when you're thinking for yourself, I want you to pay attention to that cognitive dissonance you have in your head when something doesn't make quite sense. Yes, you then need to go and actually do your own due diligence on that. You don't just go, mm, well, okay, I guess I'll just believe what that person said. No, study. Figure things out for yourself. Don't just blindly believe people. Because they are saying, this is what these people are saying in this, this school of thought, is that the law of God, the law of liberty, the Ten Commandments, the moral laws, the natural laws, the universal laws, the many various names for it, but law of God, law of liberty. They say it's done away with. Yet in the same breath, they will claim one should still adhere to moral absolutes given by God. And they have to. Else if you believe it means to do away with it, then you would have to do away with all the moral laws and assume one can be an adulterer, one can be a fornicator, one can be a murderer, one can be a blasphemer, etc, etc, and still be righteous, apparently. No. You know it's a no. So you see the disconnect in these false teachings. Don't fall into the trap set by Satan, because he's infiltrated even the places that are to impersonate God. Search God for yourself and be hungry for his wisdom in his word. For the word Torah means law. It means instruction, direction, principles to follow or the way of life. It is your guide. Torah doesn't mean the first five books of the Bible. It means what it means. It's the law and the way of life. John chapter 8 verse 39. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. End quote. What did Abraham do? What were his works? Well, you only know that if you read the Old Testament. He honoured and lived by God's laws. He honoured and lived by God's way, confirmed in Genesis 26 verse 5. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. End quote which is again in harmony with what James says in 45 AD. Again, complete, thousands of years difference, same message. James chapter 2, verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only, end quote. We are not to remove nor add to the word of God, but to observe it and do it. So I'm just pointing out to you throughout the scriptures, throughout the word of God, where It clearly states and where it clearly shows us precept upon precept how to love God with all our hearts, mind and souls and be set apart. Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 32. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. End quote. So don't add to it or don't diminish from it. The law is perfect, converting the very soul. That's one of the Psalms. What the, quote, Pharisees or the legalists that people love to quote in the New Testament were doing, they weren't adhering to God's laws. They were adding and diminishing God's laws. And on top of it, they weren't even doing what they were preaching. That was the problem. Yet nowadays, it's the moment someone mentions God's law, it's, oh, look, it's a Pharisee and a legalist. No, you don't get it. No. 
Keeping God's law is not going too far, quote. It is doing exactly as God instructed. People both in past and present who claim to be of God have always added to the Torah. They've created man-made traditions which had nothing to do with God's word. That's why if you just adhere to some religious practice, you will inevitably, unfortunately, I wish it wasn't the case, but it is, be led astray into man-made traditions and not in the true word of God. Mark chapter 7 verses 9 to 13. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother, and whoso curses his father or his mother, let him die in death. But you say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is a gift by whatsoever you might profit by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more, or you don't tolerate him, to do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things do you do. End quote. What's happening is a replacement of God's word with man's word. That's why he's saying, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. This is evident today as well, everywhere. You can apply everything I'm saying right now, right here, to our lives as it is in the year 2023 and beyond. People claim to speak of God and his word, but they speak of man-made traditions. And then they have people worshipping idols, which is literally to break the second commandment of God. The Pharisees that he's referring to, which were the people at the time when Jesus walked the earth, the Pharisees were the people who were supposed to be teaching God's law. So rather than doing that, they were making people abide to their man-made laws, not God's. Again, today we see this even with government, not only religion. Remember when I'm speaking, I'm speaking not from a religious standpoint. I believe not in man-made religions. I believe in the accuracy of the word of God. That's why Jesus could call them hypocrites like he did. In Matthew 23, verses 1 to 3, he says, Then spoke Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you, observe. That observe and do. But do not after their works, for they practice not what they preach. End quote. You see what he's saying? Where they have actually taught the correct law. That's why I say they sit in Moses' seat, you see. This is really important for you to understand because, again, there's a lot of this speak about legalism today when it's like, no, that's you being a child of God and following God's laws. Legalism or being a Pharisee, as people like to say today, is that you're supposedly representing the law of God, but you're doing the very opposite. They weren't doing what they preached, just like what I gave in the example a moment ago about honouring your father and your mother being one of the commandments. And the Pharisees were basically making that void by saying, well, as long as you actually come and give to the, give to the temple, give gifts to the temple, you don't have to honour your father or your mother. You see, they, they, they were messing with it and they were making God's law void and they were making their own laws so that you would worship people, man, 
Again, power corrupts people. People take these positions of responsibility. That's what true leadership is. It's responsibility. It's service. It is not power and enforcement and rulership. But that's what human beings seem to always make it out to be. So he's saying, bid and observe and do. Do what they're saying to you, which is the correct God's laws, because they were supposed to be the experts in them, and they indeed were. But the hypocrisy was that they weren't practicing it themselves. He says, continues in Matthew 23, verse 13. But woe to you, which is like, look out, bad for you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. End quote. That's why the Antichrist is called the lawless one. Again, God is very specific with his word. Second Thessalonians verses two. Uh, sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming, end quote. Why would the Antichrist be called the lawless one? It, he was the initial, he's the first person to transgress against God. He was the very first one. He is the very first one to betray God. And then he corrupted man as well. So what, what is sin then? What does sin actually mean? Sometimes people just hear that word sin and they immediately roll their eyes and want to switch off. But sin is lawlessness. It is iniquity. It is to transgress against God. It is immorality, more simply put. It's to live in opposition to the way Yahweh, our God, established. Hence the name lawless one. First John chapter 3, verse 4, we see... Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. End quote. That's really clear. Again, if the law was no longer valid, how could we even know right from wrong? I want you to embark on, like, usual critical thinking here. Think of all the generations that are born into the world ever since, right, being told that the law is done away with. Do you see how that ideology actually promotes Satanism? You know, the do what you want shall be the whole of the law as a Satan's gospel. Now, that's a true inversion. Remember that Satan doesn't totally stand out. He actually wants to merge and look like God. He's a counterfeit. That's why it says he disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come looking like some horrid thing because then nobody or most people wouldn't follow him. But he comes appearing as if he's good. Romans chapter 7 verse 7, Paul said, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, You shall not covet, which is to desire something that doesn't belong to you. End quote. So you see that without knowledge of the law, how can you even know you broke it? You can't. You would be depending on culture and society to tell you. And good luck with that in a satanic world. 
So you see the importance of teaching the truth of God's word to all that we'll hear. That is the Ten Commandments. They are the moral laws. They are not sacrificial laws. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for sins. Not to allow or enable future sin, but to cloak you in his righteous blood that you will have the faith and hope and salvation because before him you were already dead. And in knowing him, you may have eternal life giving you the light of truth to repent from wrongdoings and turn towards God. The moral law still stands unless you think God is actually totally fine with you murdering, stealing, lying. You get the idea. Again, guys, I'm simply showing you the logic and I'm pointing out the evidence in scriptures. You be the judge for yourself. You need not do anything with this information But my hope is that it will spark a revelation inside you to know that the true living God, to know him personally and to choose him. There is much deception at work in this world. You need to have a sober mind to discern truth from falsehood. Galatians chapter 5 verse 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. End quote. I chose this one specifically because it's another one that people will say, you see, you see, why are you trying to justify yourself by the law? You've fallen from grace. Yes, read it again properly. You're not justified by the law. The law simply reveals what sin is. Breaking the law. Just like if you, again, if you look at the man-made construct, which is a copy, not a good one, but a copy of God's system or setup, if you will, structure. If you break the law in your country, how do you know you broke the law? You have to know what the law is. Yes, it's the same thing. That's why 1 John 3, 4 says what it says. I only knew the law. I only knew sin from the law, from breaking the law. So stating sin is transgression of the law. That's what he's stating. And Galatians chapter 5 is explaining the doing of the law itself, okay? Doesn't make you righteous. Just like keeping the laws of your nation doesn't make you a good person, does it? Right? If your heart is still wicked, this is what I've been saying. Like, this is the part you, I want people to truly understand because this was the revelation that I've not heard anyone else speak on. That's why I've spent so much time to put this together in this way. Like we saw in the temple sacrifices it doesn't change your heart to just do the rituals or to just be abide to the law it's the difference between a showman and a true disciple of god it's is your heart still wicked like do you still desire wicked things that's why he doesn't separate thought from deed forehead and hand thus pursuing the law itself doesn't save you No, of course not. It reveals to you your betrayal against God that therefore one who is saved, one who is truly changed, will pursue it because of their true faith, thus leading to salvation. You see, faith is the root that Jesus planted in us and obedience to God's law is the fruit we produce from it. 
God talks at infinitum about being a tree and fruit from the tree, how your your deeds reveal your fruit. Is it rotten fruit? Is it good fruit? That's what he's talking about. He will see your fruit. He gives so many analogies about, um, you know, a master going away into a far land and leaving his, like, employees responsible of his whole house, of his whole, let's say, his whole mansion or huge farm or what have you. And imagine he comes back after a few years and he'll see what? He'll see who was responsible and who was reliable still doing what they agreed with him to do. And then he'll see the ones that that were wicked at heart, who got drunk, who did ridiculous things, who beat the other employees, who stole from him. That's what he's talking about. And I can't go further into that, but I'll do it in future lessons. But if I just want you to truly see that faith is the root Jesus plants within you. But your obedience to God's laws, because you love him, not because you're, you're forcing it, that's the fruit we produce from it. That's the fruit he then sees from us throughout our whole lifetime, however long that is. Again, his commandments are not burdensome. Actually, they're a delight when you live by them. And you see for yourself what a blessing it is to love the truth. But throughout history, people didn't respect God nor keep his laws not because his laws were unrealistic. Again, that's the thing people are saying today, unrealistic bondage of the laws. No, but because people were wicked at heart. They loved not the truth nor the Father. John chapter 3, verse 20. For everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither do they come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or exposed. End quote. You see what he's saying? It reveals your heart. Guys, this is so important in you understanding this because free will is the core element of our existence. The fact that human beings have free will is the ultimate, ultimate gift. So that's why it's a revealing of your heart. He's not forcing you. God is not forcing you to become his disciple, to live in his ways and to love him. That is your choice. But you cannot... deny or ignore or live in a delusion that there are consequences to your choices that's the reality of life and there are positive consequences and there are negative consequences as I explained earlier with the law of life and the law of sin I'm hoping a lot of you are getting some really deep revelations from this because truly there's so much deception about this and there's a lot a lot to sort of uncover and clarify but again who needs to hear it will, and I know that God will open the eyes of those that are truly seeking him. Here's an example with the Sabbath, for example, which is the seventh day of the quote week. And God calls the seventh day a holy day of rest for God, because God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. That's back in Genesis, right at the beginning of the world. That's the origins of creation, which in itself is a whole dispute and debate of course because there's plenty of schools of thought that claim that the world is billions of years old because of the theory of evolution and the big bang and all the rest of it you see all of that is a whole other thing but the example within the ten commandments you often hear this oh you don't have to keep the sabbath right no no you forget that one again because if if none of them if one of them isn't void then why would the rest of them be oh don't keep the sabbath but no of course you can't murder people well which one is it right So as an example, 
he really clarifies and he's very serious about the seventh day being a holy day of rest. And as I was learning about that throughout the whole scriptures, I could really see how serious it was to God. I I didn't know about it personally beforehand, as I said, because no one ever read the Bible to me, nor was I ever involved in, in looking at the scriptures and so on and so forth. But here we see in Exodus chapter 16, verse 27 and 28. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? End quote. So that's back in Exodus, okay? That's the, um, that's the second book um, of the whole Bible. So that's, again, this is, we're going way back. This is almost, this is so many, this is like almost 5,000 or so years ago. No one was keeping the Sabbath. Bear in mind, God was keeping them alive and protecting them. This is when he was leading them out of, out of bondage and slavery from Egypt. They were 40 years, okay, walking through, traveling through the wilderness to, co- to go to their, their own nation. They were going to make their own nation, right? This was the people of Israel back then. And he kept them alive and protected them throughout that whole thing. 40 years in the wilderness whilst the Egyptians were after them, okay? They were coming after them to kill them because they wanted their slaves. Like, that's a whole other thing. And and by the way, there is actually scientific and provable evidence for many of these things. There are several people who have dedicated their entire lives to, like, uh, expeditions to look at the accounts in the Bible and then find the the geological and um, physical evidence within the world, within Earth, and they find them. There's several. There's several. And so there's, there's evidence of this as well, for example. So he was keeping them alive and protecting them. They lacked literally nothing, okay? They didn't lack anything. And they still decided to ignore his laws. This is what I'm saying. It's not because his laws were impossible. They were being selfish. They got comfortable. They were like, they were just not reciprocating. Think of any relationship. When you feel used and abused, Right? Yet they make their own and then claim to follow, right? They were making their own ideas and laws and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, it's still the same. God doesn't mind. But no, so they weren't true disciples of God. And God is very specific. He said to keep his Sabbath, not any Sabbath that you want, right? He didn't say, oh, yeah, choose a day. Or I also often heard... Um, uh, through my studies and everything, is like, oh no, well, you're with God every day, right? If you're speaking with him, if you're reading his word or whatever, it's every day is a s- Sabbath day. No, he was very specific about what the Sabbath actually is. Moral laws are of the conscience, okay? The ceremonial laws were for the flesh, were for physical, for your body. Yet one could see with the continuation of sacrifices, no one was actually repenting or abstaining from sin. They just carried on. Exodus chapter 31 verse 13. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. End quote. That's so important. It's a sign between you and God throughout all the generations. Remember, if you don't pass it on, people forget. 
How can they even know because you didn't tell them? Right? That I sanctify you. Because the the Sabbath is a pure and holy day, a day of rest. And very simply, because I'm not going to go into what is the Sabbath and all that, it's a day of rest from commerce. It's not sit in your house, lock yourself up and do nothing. It's a day of rest from commerce, from selling and buying. So that people would not, the, the bigger picture, so that people would not start to have money as their God. He knew that, that, that there was potential for that. And that that day of rest was for everyone, as in didn't matter what industry you worked in, which country or whatever, that no, everybody has a holy day where it's you rest, you do not have commerce, not buying nor selling, and it's a day where you come together to commune for your love for God. But that that was thrown out the window pretty much everywhere. I don't see that anybody representing that today, like as a, as a greater nation. Again, God's laws were not for nothing. His people are to be a light to all the nations of the truth and the way to life. Thus, what he commanded his people to do was different to the worldly traditions of men. In other words, set apart. Okay. It's also very interesting that the Sabbath, being the seventh day, is what we would call today Saturday. Now, obviously, the name Saturday is not godly. It comes from mythological, worldly, false gods and all that, but that's the only word I can use because that's what we have to live with. That's the calendar we've been given this Monday to to uh, Sunday. But guess what? What day do most people actually supposedly have the Sabbath without even realising whether or not you even know anything about the Bible? It's Sunday. It's not Saturday. <laughs> it should at least make you think. Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 12. Also I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so they would know that I the Lord made them holy. Ezekiel 20 verse 20. Keep my Sabbaths holy that they might be a sign between us. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. End quote. I mean, he couldn't be more clear how important of a sign it is. And it's again, you can apply it. It's amazing to me how thousands of years Pass and this is still so relevant. It's even more relevant today because, as I said, the whole world is quite happy to, for the most part, be closed on a Sunday and not do commerce. But that's not God's day. <laughs> it's like a real slap in the face. And so, therefore, therefore, for it to be a sign and for it to be you being set apart in today's world, think about it. If you actually celebrate or respect the Sabbath on a Saturday, what we call Saturday in today's world, it is actually makes you different from other people because everybody else are doing what? In fact, if you work like nine to five, Monday to Friday, you're doing most of your buying and selling on a Saturday. You're doing all your errands and stuff. Incredible, incredible. And so when I realized all of this, I was like, no, I want to I want to keep the Sabbath. I want to do that for my God because I want him to see that I respect him and that I love him. And so when I started implementing it, I could really see many things in terms of the difference, but how how it truly is different to how the rest of the world is. So much becomes clear to you guys when you start actually um, living by his standards. So you want God to know that you love him 
You display your love for him by his standard of love, remember? Not a morally relative standard of love that anybody can just say, well, everything's love. No, it's not. He sets the standard. He's the creator. You display, therefore, your love for him by his standard of love. You keep his laws because you love him, not because you have to. The equivalent being the ease to which people are totally fully obedient to governmental laws today. Totally, right? You don't even question it. Sure, I obey the law. I obey my master, the government. I obey my master, the president. I obey my master, the prime minister. People adhere adhere to their man-made laws, even though they don't believe them. They they don't even believe in them. Which they shouldn't, because many of them are pointless man-made doctrines. That is not the case for God's perfect moral laws. Keep them. If it's so easy for you to keep man-made laws, why is it so difficult for you to keep God's laws? Really think about it, guys. For they are a sign between you and him. And as we get closer and closer to these turbulent end times, and there will be a mark of the beast, and there will be a mark of the Antichrist, the clear sign, there's a clear differentiator between people who have a mark of God in their, in their, in their thoughts and in their deeds, and people who have the mark of the Antichrist. So, for example, today, how many claim they keep the Sabbath, but they keep it on a Sunday? And how are they keeping it? They're going to some religious, again, religious, not based off of the word of God, religious, man-made, religious service on a Sunday, a day ordained by the Pharisees of today's world. So be careful who you call in a Pharisee and a legalist. Could be the very people that you're following, not God. Think about it. In some countries, and for the most part, literally, Sunday is a day where commerce is completely closed. People do not work. That's the point of the Sabbath. And yet false religions have made it the first day of the week instead, which is Sunday, and not the seventh. It's literally in opposition to God's law. Imagine, imagine it like this. <laughs> you tell your wife or your husband you will no longer celebrate their birthday on the day that it is, but instead on the day of your previous partner, would they not be offended? You be the judge. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labour therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. End quote. Do you see how belief is connected to deeds? Again, did you hear that? Let us labour, that's works, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Meaning unbelief is not just a thought you entertain. It's what you represent in how you live your life. So he's saying, like, it's, it's you keeping your belief, you're keeping your faith, you're keeping your trust in God alive. Of course. Again, this is, this is evident in anything else in life. Yet with God, apparently, people treat him lower than they would an animal or something. Why is this? Yet there's the standard for God is, is the highest. He's perfection. Hebrews 4 verses 12 and 13. For the, world, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit 
and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. End quote. Did you hear that? Discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word discerns the intents of your thoughts and your heart. That's why you need to know God's word, because it's the very thing that will make you self-reflect and say, ah, am I aligned with God or am I against him, right? With him or against him. And God knows your thoughts and your imaginations. The mark of God, the mark of Yahweh, is your love and your service to him. How he ordained it, not how you feel like. In Acts, instructions are given to new believers of listening to God's ways. Acts 15, verses 19 to 21. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. That's like foreigners, people who don't know God. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, avoid idol worship, and from fornication, sexual immorality, which usually follows from idol worship and from things strangled, and from blood. This is not eating food with blood in it. I mean, you can think today steak and, and so on is all still filled with blood. For Moses of old time has in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So it was a part of lifestyle to gather and learn from the word of God every week, lest it be forgotten. Did you hear that? So where do you hear that today, that the first thing a Gentile or a new believer is told is to abstain and avoid idol worship and sexual immorality or their sins, which is to repent from them, and to gather every Sabbath day to read and learn from the word of God, lest it be forgotten. Preaching Moses, as he says here, which is literally to preach the Ten Commandments. You see this with the Israelites in Numbers chapter 25, verses 2 to 3. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. End quote. This is extremely important when it comes to being influenced by people who are not of God. So a lot of the times what happened um, in past is that whoever people mixed with, they would, of course, be influenced by them because we're influenced by everything and everyone. Everyone's constantly influencing one another. So he's, he's saying you need to be cautious of being influenced by, quote, non-believers in the one true God because many people made up false gods. So when I'm referring to their gods or other gods, that's not real gods. They're, they're all false gods, they're all demonic. So there's countless examples of this in scripture, especially in foreign partners. So like uh, romantic partners, as in marriages, being from foreign lands and being directly linked to betrayal. Betraying God, betraying his commandments and then basically messing things up big time. Okay. And again, importantly, noticing that how committing 
sacrifices and, and food and these ceremonies and things to these false gods often went hand in hand with committing what he's written here, as he said, whoredom, which he refers to that in many ways. Whoredom, he doesn't only mean like uh, in a physical sexual form, like people sleeping with multiple uh, partners and so on and so forth. Yes, that. But also he means whoredom spiritually. So going and serving and sacrificing to other gods. He refers to that as whoredom. Again, strong language, right? This is why God sets us apart with his Torah. Once you mingle with the world, they will persuade you into evil. God is naturally counterculture of this world because this world is fallen and run by Satanists. You're not gonna, you cannot be of God and be fully bought into this world and love this world. It's just not possible. And no, that's not, again, just for the Jews. Neither was it so in Old nor New Covenant. It's for all people who choose of their free will to walk in the ways of God and have a relationship with him. When one becomes a believer of the one true God, they are grafted into Israel, okay, Israel being God's people, they're grafted in, like grafted a branch into the tree, into the tree of life. Thus you are either of the nation of Israel, spiritually, or other nations, quote, Gentiles. That's the only two options, of the world or not, right? Tree of life or Gentiles, Israel or Gentiles. Spiritually speaking, and that's why we are the descendants of Abraham as believers and followers of God, the one true God, Yahweh. He made an eternal covenant with Abraham. Eternal means forever. Okay, they are God's holiness laws. Laws to set Israel apart, to be separate and holy before God, to represent his character. This is the mark of God on your hand and between your eyes. In Leviticus Chapter 11, verse 41, he says, therefore be holy because I am holy, end quote. So yes, he's calling you to be holy, which is to be set apart. God has a standard. Exodus chapter 12, verse 49, one law shall be to him that is homeborn, so of where you, like a, a native, a local, and unto the stranger that sojourns among you, End quote. So he's saying the law doesn't change because somebody comes and visits you. He's saying it's both for locals and foreigners. You be the example. And so when they see your example, you don't, when someone comes and visits you, you don't become like them. They're supposed to see your example and be like, wow, look at these godly people. Look at their amazing standards. Look at the way they live. Look at how prosperous they are in life because of these uh, values and principles they have. Look how they don't live in this perverted way. And then they will see the example from you and be like, wow, yeah, actually, maybe I want to do that as well. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, said the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. End quote. Come out from among them. He's saying, come out of the world. The world is the law of sin, which is death. Be separate from the world. 
you are, he calls it, a, be a peculiar people. Like, be, you're going to stand out in not a nice way. It's not stand out like, oh, look, this person's amazing. <laughs> it's stand out like, why are you weirdo? Right? Like, why are you weirdo that you don't want to get drunk and go party? Why are you a weirdo that you believe in holy matrimony? Why are you a weirdo that you want to keep the Sabbath? What's the matter with you? Like, why are you weirdo? Like, why won't you buy something on a Saturday? Like, this is how people will treat you. And he's saying, come out of among them because it's death. I am life, right? Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. End quote. You see, you show forth the praises of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, his laws are not bondage. His laws actually show you how to live literally the most righteous life, which is a good life. Not a good life the way the world proclaims it, a good life the way God intended it. And then people look at that and, and see you as this beaming light of like, whoa. But especially when a whole nation does that, like when a group of people do that, it's a massive example. Romans chapter 11, verses 22 and 24. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Severity on those which fell, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you shall also be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou were cut off out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? End quote. This is a very powerful analogy that God's explaining his mercy and his grace. Again, this is from Old Testament so that people can understand that the Old Testament, quote, God is not a different God that was some horrid monster. He was always merciful. He was always merciful. And his analogy here is very powerful in that I don't know if you've ever, basically with a tree, you can literally just make a little cut in the, in the, trunk of the tree and you can put a stick of a branch from another tree for example you can graft it in and wrap it with something perhaps put some nutrients and it the the tree will accept the new branch okay that's what it means to be grafted in so what he's saying here is that even though you were lawless even though you were a child of darkness he can graft you in he's able to do that if you let go of your unbelief and choose to follow him, choose to do the right thing, you see, it's never too late. But he's also saying, saying to the people that are already grafted, if they choose to, um, to, to go astray and to be evil again, he can just as easily cut you off. So you see how he's explaining that. I think it's a very good visual as well to explain it with the olive tree. 
Numbers 15 verses 15 to 16. One ordinance shall be for you, shall be both for you of the congregation and also for the stranger that visits you. An ordinance forever in your generations. As you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one manner shall be for you and for the stranger that sojourns with you, end quote. So again, this is for all the people that want to say, I don't need to know that stuff because it was just for the Jews. It was just for Israel. No, 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 no. He chose the people he chose back then to be the example, the light to the nations. What do you think he just, the rest of the billions of people on the earth is like, yeah, well, forget about those. I just, I just want my special people. The point is there's supposed to be an example and anyone and everyone who is willing to turn away from their errors and turn towards God can be grafted in. And God is not just for some. He is the one God of all. We all have the same God. We all have the same maker, the same father. There is no God but Yahweh, especially to those who like to divide themselves as some special by bloodline or creed unfortunately there's a lot of that today especially also in these uh, uh, sort of psychopathic families that are out there that do actually uh, control the world demonically because they in their heads are like yeah I'm this special bloodline and so on and so forth no that's not what God intended at all God created all people and with all people he wishes them not to perish but but to be saved by his mercy and direction Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. End quote. I think that's pretty clear. (laughs) One God. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 to 18. This I say then. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts after things against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, then you are not under the law. End quote. Oh, here we go again. Under the law. See, you're not under the law if you're led by the spirit. Hold on. Under which law is he talking about here? Remember, there was the two consequences he put before everybody back in Deuteronomy, the law of life or the law of death. And the result of whether or not you abide to his laws was the consequences. So he's not talking about the law of life here, but the law of sin and death. These verses will make so much more sense to you now that you understand this is the two consequences of God's law. Remember, you embrace his law and receive life, or you deny his law and expect death. That's why he says, if you're led by the spirit, you're not of the law. You're not under the law of death because your spirit is leading you. So you're going to be spiritually doing that which God desires. So you're you're being led by life. You're not in bondage. Bondage is the law of death, the law of sin. Bondage is slavery to this world of sense pleasures. So when he is talking about the battle between the flesh and the spirit, this is internal. 
your body desires, like your bodily desires, wanting to choose evil. And this will continue. Again, God doesn't just take this away from you. You have free will. You're responsible for yourself. Your bodily desires, wanting to choose evil, and your spiritual mind, wanting righteousness. That's the internal battle. This is why training in consciousness and habits is critical. So something I've been passionate about and again, teaching for like 15 years is so critical. Contrary to what those with a victim mentality will sell to you, such as anytime you feel like doing evil, it's a demon inside you. No, it's not your behavior at all. It's a demon. It's a demon. So therefore you've got to go and pay uh, a couple of hundred to a thousand dollars or whatever to get someone to cast out this de demon from you. Okay. And you've got lots of them. There's a demon of lust. There's a demon of greed. There's a demon of, you know, uh, hatred. There's a demon of, I don't even know. There's a spirit of blah, 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 blah. So it's got nothing to do with your behavior. Of course not. It's just a demon inside you. So you've got to get the demon out. It's again a victim mentality. Please be cautious of this. This is not true. Personal responsibility is paramount here. And cultivating self-discipline is what leads you to righteousness, coupled with faith in your beloved father. Because he's the one that gives you the strength. You're like, oh, I'm going through one of these internal battles. Please help me, father, right? You lean on his guidance and strength through prayer and study. So you pray and you continue to study. Every time you pray and if you ask him questions and then you study and read the word of God, he answers you through the word. It's coupled together. And then, of course, through your habits, what are you doing? Are you fighting it? Because eventually it gets easier and easier and easier. But you cannot expect instantaneously when you have the desires of righteousness through the spirit being new into belief that all of a sudden your body's just going to go along with it. Of course not. Again, like with anything, someone that wants to quit drinking alcohol, someone that wants to stop, you know, their cheese addiction to cheese, which is a very common thing, by the way. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes reorganizing your environment. It takes so many things. Please don't fall for the, oh, it's just a demon and you need, you need deliverance. You need someone to do some magic trick on you where they're casting out demons and you just got to keep coming every week you know because those demons just keep coming back no it's your behavior it's your lifestyle right he clearly goes on as well to specify what those fleshly laws are so when he says you're not under the law when you're led by the spirit this is what he's talking about galatians chapter 5 verses 19 to 26 now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these adultery fornication uncleanness lascivity lasciviousness I can't say that one that's basically like that's basically like whorish behavior idolatry witchcraft hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies envying murders drunkenness revelings and such like of the which I tell you before as I have told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Does that sound like all you've got to do is believe in, believe in an idea and you're good? Why would he say this? Why would he say, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Then he goes on to explain what is the fruit, the deeds of the spirit versus the flesh, right? But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. End quote. Did you hear that? Against such there is no law because you're not fighting anymore. You're living in the spirit. It doesn't feel like an internal battle anymore. You see, this is the importance of knowing your scripture and being intimately familiar with God's character, like your own family, because you can see, then see the contradictions are coming from people's interpretations, not from God, not of his word. For example, many say and think that one need only believe in Jesus' death and resurrection and that they are saved, quote, and that they don't need to do anything else. Okay, but you have your whole life to live, right? You have to make choices every day, right? They are choices with responsibility. Who you are, what you do, what kind of things you engage in, whether they are moral or immoral, and so on. Does this just become irrelevant? Wouldn't that make God's words, his standards and principles seem unreliable? or inconsistent? And wouldn't it have Jesus and the apostles after him appear as a hypocrite? Again, I'm simply directing you to use your own discernment here with clear evidence from the scriptures. Jesus certainly was not a hypocrite. He is the way, the truth and the life. He taught what he lived and he lived what he taught. That being said, Let's see what that means. What did Jesus say and do that either affirms or denies the Holy Scriptures from our God, Yahweh? 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. My little children, these things which I write unto you, that, I, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is... The propitiation, which is a mercy seat for regaining favour with God. He is the propitiation, propitiation, I can't say that word. He is the mercy seat, okay, for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments... He that says, I know him, and keep not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keeps his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, even as, his, as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. End quote. I mean, there's so much in that. So again, Jesus' sacrifice was the perfect sin sacrifice, the perfect blood because he was an innocent man that lived perfectly. The son of God that 
bear the wrath of God in our place, that no one would have to make the ceremonial animal sacrifices after that, but not so that you would continue in a wretched, wicked lifestyle and take him for granted, but that he became your advocate on the right side of God, that as you continue to walk in your faith, and even if you stumble, you go to him to get to God. He is your advocate, as in he's like, I've clothed you with my blood. If you're truly like having that repentance, that sorrow that you made a mistake, he's clothing you with his blood. Not that, yeah, all good, as long as you believed, as long as you supposedly accept that, then no worries. No, as it's said here over and over again, if you abide in him, you ought to walk as he did. And if you know him, you keep his commandments. Hereby do we know our love for God is perfected. Who keeps his word? What was the word? Everything that we're going through this whole century, the word, the, the Torah, the obedience to the Torah. So what did Jesus command us to do? What was Jesus's commandments? Keep the law. He even raised the standard of the Pharisees. Again, because they weren't doing what they were preaching. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love the neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Matthew 23, verses 1 to 3. Then spoke Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you, observe and do. But do not after their works, for they practice not what they preach. End quote. So he's reaffirming Moses, the Ten Commandments, God's laws. Do those. Don't do what the Pharisees are showing you because they are legalists. Legalists not being the way people talk about them today. Legalists being talking about man-made laws. Again, like government today. Obey the government, obey the government, but forget God, forget his laws. Why are you trying to keep God's laws? Like, who do you think you are? Are you sure you think you're better than everyone? But they fully well expect you to keep to government laws, please. Like, just, again, sense the logic. Where is it? James chapter 2, verses 17 to 23. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being alone. Yes, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. The devils also believe, and they tremble. But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith was wrought with his work, or brought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. End quote. So you see, 
As I've said, faith is not what most seem to believe that it is, because it is not without its fruits. The book of James is an important scripture that many claim contradicts the rest of the scripture. But now, as I've revealed to to you, you can hopefully see that James is actually consistent with the rest of scripture. He's not contradictory at all. And know that as anyone can become set apart as a child of God, again, it's not reserved for a few people. There's many religions that teach that too. It's a reserved thing. So bad luck if you weren't born into part of the bloodline or whatever. Total nonsense. Please don't believe this. Anyone can become set apart as a child of God because they genuinely seek him in truth and spirit, not because they are of a special bloodline or a descendant, as explained again as well in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. Think not to say within yourself, we have Abraham, our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham, end quote. Now that is a strong message. God is able to raise up children unto Abraham, whomsoever he will. That's why I'm telling you Israel represents God's children, God's nation, God's people, not the actual place. Yes. Thus, many will be called to God. Many will be called to be part of Abraham's seed. Many will be called to to be part of Israel, to be a child of God. But not everyone will be chosen. You need courage. You need strength. You need wisdom. You need a sober mind. All of which you have not without him. So deny him not. You need him. You need God. Matthew 7, chapter 20, sorry, chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Don't have God say unto you, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. That's the last thing you want to be hearing from God. So, sorry, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my father, which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work lawlessness. End quote. This is such a critical one. Again, he wouldn't say you that work iniquity and lawlessness if he didn't mean exactly that. And you see, some people say that this, um, this verse is about non-believers. But how can someone be a so-called non-believer and cast out devils in Jesus' name and do wonderful works, meaning miracles and so on and so forth. You see, here, a lot of people, again, also like to say, oh, this is people that uh, are, are basing their faith on works. No, no, he's saying people that are working iniquity. So they're doing man-made stuff. They're like, yeah, let me do the miracles and magic and shows and all that and fill a stadium of people so I can glorify myself, make money off of God's name to the millions, right? But not leading anybody to God, not teaching his commandments. You're supposed to be teaching people to know God so that you can know him, so he can say, oh yes, I know you, come in. Not, I don't know you, because the whole time you've been spending time with these people who claim to be of God, but they're going around, you know, putting on 
sensationalized shows of casting out demons and just declaring things. I declare this, I declare that. That's not, that's a television show. So we either seek to obey his law with a genuine heart of love for him. We're seeking him. We're not seeking the promises from some prosperity gospel, okay? Or otherwise he's going to see us as lawless. He's going to see that. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. So if he sees you entering in any whatever religious building or situation and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to come to this just because, you know, it makes me look good in front of other people or... um, if I do this, you know, I'm going to gain favor with God. He's going to make my life fantastic. God has a plan for you and all that. But you're not actually seeking to love him the way he defines love, right? He's going to see you as lawless. You see, it's either the law stands or it doesn't. There is no whatever you prefer. This is why it didn't sit right with me when I heard others speaking on doing away with the law. No, my father has revealed to me and I'm showing you the scriptures and how they align to the law still being valid and that our walk therein does matter. Again, I claim not to be some arbiter of ultimate truth and this is where God has led me in understanding so far in my walk with him to which I am teaching for educational purposes only which is not an only because education is the foundation for everything, in my view. But not that you will believe me or support me because it's not about me. It's about him glorifying him with my love for him. People want to apply their own definitions of love. Yet if they don't understand the standard of love God has set, they will here depart from me. So how to love God and have a true relationship with him? Well, everything that I've shared with you in this lesson, for the most part, again, there's so much more I can cover. To which, though, you will only want to do if your heart actually desires to cleave unto him. You see, there's nothing really I or anyone else can say to you other than to educate you and to therefore you then make your own choices. Free will must be always respected. But your own heart's desire must be to want to cleave unto him to embrace him, to listen to his voice, to do his commandments, respect his ways and live by them, choosing life, integrity and goodness. But don't hear it from me, hear it from God himself. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 20. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is your life and the length of your days. End quote. So ask yourself this question. Who do you love? Who is your father? The only living God, Yahweh, or the author of lies, Satan? And if you even need to think about it, well, consider the risk that comes with that. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 to 28. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way, which I commanded you this day, to go after other gods which you have not known. End quote. John chapter 8 verses 42 to 47. Jesus said unto them, 
If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I from myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You are of the father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. End quote. Very strong words. Very important. Again, truth does not automatically mean you're going to accept it. A lot of the times people don't want to accept it because they love the worldly life. John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know truth, and the truth shall make you free. End quote. Again, in John chapter 8 verse 51. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. End quote. There is a lot I can talk on that, but I'm going to leave that for another episode. When he means never see death, it's everlasting life. There is, we do not just disappear when we physically die. There is actually different types of deaths and there's different types of life. And he, your promise your gift from God is your life eternal when you put your trust in Jesus walk like he did and live by and love the one true God Yahweh he will then come into you with his spirit God's spirit because to live by the spirit is God's spirit and he dwells in you that's what the Holy Spirit is And the Holy Spirit then dwells in you and helps you throughout your life, throughout all the struggles that you'll then have with the world. The Holy Spirit dwells in you and helps you live by the Spirit. It's like a seal and that that shows that sign again between you and God. But again, I can cover more of that in a different episode. In Titus chapter 2 verses 11 to 15, we see a wonderful explanation of Again, being set apart, what that looks like to truly love God with all your heart, mind and soul. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Indeed, everyone has seen and known and heard. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ, whom gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. End quote. You see, if you're not willing to be different, you cannot make a difference. We are all called to be a peculiar people, meaning different, 
set apart, not of the world, but of God. So also when he's saying here, he redeems us from iniquity and purifies us unto himself. He's saying the result of that is good works. So you be the judge. If Satan was wanting to pull you away from God, what might he say about this? He might tell you the gospel means that Jesus did away with the law and you can do what you want. As long as you believe, quote, Satan will tell you, hey man, doesn't matter how you live out God's laws, for he knows your heart. So why not worship on a day that isn't the Holy Sabbath or create your own holidays to false idols and ignore the significance of his holy celebrations? Think about it. He literally has people calling faith in God's moral laws a sin and not a virtue. As though, how dare you even try to live by God's impossible laws because you are a disgrace and an unworthy to live as he so pleases. You can never please God. And if you even try, well, then you're acting like you're better than everyone else. A total inversion. That's what Satan does best. How is it a negative thing to want to please God by living to his laws and statutes? Now, based on everything we went through, I simply encourage you to consider the facts here, because these are not small matters, rather matters of life and death. I accept this won't be well received by many, but my commitment is to God, not the world. To the truth and to glorifying his name, that's what my priority is. And may it reach who it needs to, in spirit and in truth. Think about it, reflect on it, pray about it. But don't just react by either dismissing nor accepting. Ask God to reveal the truth to you and be diligent in your own studies. Of course, the learning and growth doesn't end here. I could have included even more, but it would not have been fruitful for one complete lesson. So I shall return with more, highlighting what living in Christ actually means and how the key to it all is our conscience, God willing, of course. That's all for now. Till next time, I'll leave you with this verse. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus.